Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of us some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. They say, if it's free, it's advice. If you pay for it, it's counseling. And if you can use either, it's a miracle. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are gathered here in your name. Your presence is with us. We pray that your spirit would fall mightily upon us with your grace. Help us understand your word. Help us apply it. Help us to live it. Your glory. We give you thanks now. Amen. Other times, each of us becomes discouraged. I don't think there's a person in the room who can claim otherwise, even the most optimistic of people. We're discouraged by life, by people, by situations we face. But most of the time, I think we as Christians open ourselves up to discouragement because we become disheartened in our faith. We lose zeal for Christ. What happens when we become discouraged? Well, oftentimes we go into isolation. Right? Um, start looking inwardly. We turn to others for advice and counseling. (laughs) Um, Here's just a a real point. When someone is struggling, discouraged, try not to use Romans 8.28. For all things work together for the good. Try to, to, to come up with some other verses of encouragement. That doesn't work well at a funeral. Often, we, when we're discouraged, we turn to other things. We turn to shopping or eating or watching TV. The usual suspects of idolatry. We like them to distract us. We know them very well. Each of us, has time, at, each of us at times loses our enthusiasm for Christ. At times, we become distracted. Now, part of the issue here is our sin nature, but part of the issue also is that God is spirit. It's hard to discern his presence sometimes. It's like the wind, right? On a clear blue day, you look out, and you know the air is dynamic. You know the air is moving, but you can't discern where. We need the clouds. We need the trees to move. We need to, to feel the wind on us. We need to see the effects of the wind. Our intelligence is the same way. Right? None of us can, can 
put our intelligence right here. I, I can't put my intelligence here for you to, to see. You see the effects of it, right? And that's, that's the presence of God. We're not going to see in this world the presence, the, the, the fullness of God, but we'll see the effects of God. We get discouraged when we don't see that sometimes. Well, in our passage today, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, we're not really sure who that is. Um, many theologians will, will argue that it's the Apostle Paul. Um, I have a pet theory too, but theories like that will divide us. Let me share that. So, um, Whoever the writer is, whoever God was using there, the Hebrew audience he was writing to, they knew who he was. They accepted his word as the authority of God. They were encouraged by him. That's what he wanted to do. In the first century, Christians, just like us, were facing struggles. They were facing discouragement. And this is a wonderful book of encouragement. Encouraging the first century Christians of Jewish heritage. And they were facing persecution for their faith. They were, um, they were struggling. And in this letter of encouragement to stay faithful in Christ, to live faithfully, it's, an, it's a word that's alive to us today. So this passage we're looking at in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is actually a summary of the nine and a half chapters uh, before. It sort of brings it to a conclusion. It, the passage does start, therefore, so you know it's a conclusion. Uh, could be to the section just prior to it. Could be to the, the, entire, the entire chapter before, or chapter before, or in this case, it is a summary of the nine and a half chapters before. And um, the author restates his theme of encouragement. He addresses the theme of encouragement, chapter 2, chapter 3, through the book, uh, 6, 8, here again in 10, and later on also. The author's theme, stay diligent in your relationship with Christ, and discouragement will leave you. Keep on in the faith. The saying, keep on keeping on. All right, so let's turn to our passage. The first point that the writer of Hebrews, whoever that is, wants us to focus on is to remember Jesus. When we look at verses 19, 20, and 21, that's what he's saying. He's saying, therefore, since, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, remember, right? Then he says in verse 21, since we have a great priest, over the house of God. Remember Jesus. Right? In the Old Testament, you read the, the writings of Moses, you read the prophets, and they're all saying to the, to the Israelites, to the people of God, remember God. Remember what he has done. They're encouraging the Israelites. Go back. Remember. Remember the plagues. You were slaves in Egypt. You were there 400 years. Remember the plagues, the power of God. Remember how he protected you on the last plagues. The plagues only fell on, on the Egyptians. 
said, remember the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. You were between a rock and a hard place. The, the, the armies of Egypt were coming down on you. You had no escape. The power of God spread the waters. You walked on dry land. Remember your time at Mount Sinai. Remember the pillar of fire by day that went before you. Remember the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. Remember the presence of God, the visual presence of God. Remember that. That's what Moses wrote to the Israelites. He said, I know I'm not going to go into the promised land with you, but remember, always remember. Remember what God has done, bringing you into his presence. That's what he wanted. That's the story here. Remember who God is and what he has done, and then you can see more clearly what he's doing. You can live more faithfully. Now, the writer of Hebrews takes that theme, and he says in this passage, remember Jesus, right? who he is, and the truthfulness of his word. Remember his promises. The first century Jew, the Jewish Christians, our brothers and sisters in the Lord 2,000 years ago. This is what they knew about God. They knew God was holy. God is holy. They, they knew that from the law, God's revelation. They knew, in contrast to a holy God, man is sinful. God's moral laws, the, the Ten Commandments, showed that we are not good enough to enter into God's presence. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is true then. It is true today. There's not one of us who on our own is holy enough to enter into God's presence. That's God's moral law. That's what the Jew in the first century knows, knew. That's what... That's what uh, Israel knew, the revelation from God. Well, the Jew in the first century also knew that God wanted to be with man. He set up the temple to show the visualization that this is, this is how you can come to me. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. This is, for our help, the visualization, the ceremonial law. The uh, sacrificial system uh, and faith, the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the veil, the curtain, the high priest, these are mentioned these are, and, and alluded to in this passage. And just uh, real quick, uh, for those who are unsure, um, in the ceremonial law, it, it's representation of the holiness of God how difficult it is to get into God's presence. The temple, you had the court of the Gentiles. God was saying, I want the Gentiles also, all people, to come to me. Inside, there, there are other courts. And then you get into where the temple itself was, the altar. The altar representing our lives. That because of our impurity, our unholiness, we can't. Our lives are required of us before a holy God. And then there's the first chamber, the holy place, where priests would go and they would, they would trim the candles, they would go to the table with showbread. Um, and then there was the veil, the curtain, behind which 
was God's presence. And only the high priest could go behind there. Once a year, he had to make an offering for himself, go back there, and then an offering as an intermediary for the people uh, of Israel and the adherents, the uh, um, Gentiles who believed. He would go back there and, and meet with God. So by chapter 10, uh, the writer has already shown Jesus as being the perfect and final sacrifice. He's already shown that Jesus is able to cleanse even our consciences, to cover us with his blood, to make us pure, pure to enter God's holiness. He's also shown Jesus to be the high priest and intermediary. No need for this new, for the old ceremonial system. There is now in the New Testament, same moral code, same holy God, but there is now a new and better way uh, allowing us into God's holy presence. This is a visual of uh, entering God's presence. Uh, very important to the Jews, and kind of helps us today, too, if, if we understand that, entering God's presence. Um, but remembering Jesus, this is what, this is what, some say Apollos, but we would say the writer, whoever he is, um, remembering Jesus, who he is and what he has done, um, takes the focus of ourself, off ourselves. You know, discouragement comes from too small a focus many times. But when we ponder who Jesus is with awe and reverence, we begin to see a much bigger picture than ourselves. Our, our, our framework, our frame of mind comes off ourselves. That bigger picture helps us to keep, to keep on being faithful. Well, the second point the writer makes in verses 22 and 23 is, remember your salvation. Uh, first point, remember Jesus, who he is and what he's done. The second point is, remember your salvation. What is his work in your life and what is his promises to you? What are his promises to you? Um, his work in your life, in our lives. Verse 22 having our hearts sprinkled. That is a full reference to uh, uh, the Jewish ceremonial law. That is, uh, um, the, the audience would understand that. Uh, let's put it in today's, in today's terms. Today's, uh, maybe Paul's writing would, would help us understand a little bit better. Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, Put it in Greek terms more. Um, he said in John 3, this is actually John writing, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And Paul, that was John, Paul in Romans, 
Romans chapter 10 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from, from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's the good news that Jesus did it all. The gospel, though, many times in churches, what we see, what we, we sense is that the gospel, this message of salvation is one and done. You do it once, you accept Christ, and that's it. Well, that's not it. Because the good news is a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. A relationship. The churchies, we use the, the, the term salvation. But what we're really saying is a saving relationship. We grow in grace as we live out this relationship. As we live out this relationship, we become more like Christ. In, in this section, we have two let us say sayings. Chapter, uh, verse 22 and, and verse 23. Now, lettuce. That's not the kind of lettuce you add to a tomato and put on a hamburger. This is let us. This is a choice that we have. Let us. Not a feeling. Sometimes we don't feel like it, but let us. Let's, let's willingly choose to do these. When we remember who Jesus is and what he has done for us, the salvation and the promises, this is the way we should respond. Right? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Let us draw near to God in faith. That's the summary right there. In the full assurance of faith. As we draw near to God, it should be obvious to, to others because the Christ-like characteristics should be coming out. The fruit of the Spirit Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, a patient forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are, these are attributes of Jesus. Um, what we should see, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 talks about, uh, um, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, People should see, understand, not an arrogance, but a holiness. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. These are the attributes. As we draw near to God with faith, this is what it means. The attributes should be coming out, should be becoming clearer in us. Um, let us hold fast our hope. Let us hold unswervingly our hope. Hope in worldly terms is I wish. We kind of hope maybe it'll happen. I, I'm really hopeful. I'm wishing it will. This is like the bottle of Heinz ketchup, right? You turn it over. You know it's in there. Right? You're waiting for it, waiting 
is a, an active verb, right? You can't just leave the bottle on the table. You've got to do something to get that. You know it's in there. It's a full assurance of hope that it is in there. You've got to shake the bottle. You've got to turn it upside down, right? An active verb of waiting, the Heinz ketchup, our hope, the fulfillment of Christ's promises. They are real. They're going to happen. And at some point, you get quite a blessing coming out of there, right? Heinz ketchup, waiting patiently, patiently, but actively. Discouragement. There, there are many people who have been discouraged holding that bottle of Heinz ketchup. They put it down. That's how you got mustard on hamburgers now. They go for the yellow mustard, the squeeze bottle. Didn't, didn't, they weren't faithful. They didn't endure. Discouragement. Discouragement is a wedge that distracts us from drawing near in faith and holding fast in hope. Discouragement. Our goal should be to, to see the daily evidence of God's presence in our lives and all around us. In remembering, as we remember, God becomes the object of our faith, not ourselves. It is very easy for us to do things in our own, uh, our, with our own wisdom, our own strength. But as we focus, as we remember what God has done, as we remember what he is, is doing in our lives, what he has promised in our lives, our focus goes on him. And it's the object of our faith that gives our faith meaning, right? There are many swimmers. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, just like her, they had faith that that water was deep enough to dive into. You know the, the story. Johnny Erickson Tata is a quadriplegic because the water was not deep enough. It was shallow, the rock underneath, and she hit her head and now a quadriplegic, um, a servant of God, but the faith. The faith is in our object of faith, not in ourselves. Our faith grows as we remember, as we see God actively in our lives. And in the previous chapters, the writer made defense uh, for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and now he's saying, Remember the object of your faith. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's a summary statement there. Jesus is faithful. Remember the trustworthiness of, of Christ and the sureness of his salvation for you. Keep on being faithful. That's what the author is writing about. All right, we go to point three. The writer tells us what faithfulness looks like. And uh, in keeping with uh, the remembering, this is what faithfulness looks like, he's saying. Remember to encourage one another. He says, remember Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. He says, remember your salvation, the promises of God, what God has done for you. Very personal. And here he's saying, this is what faithfulness looks like. Remember to encourage one another. Verse 24, the summary is, remember to love. And we see in verse 22, faith. 
We see in verse 23, hope. And here we see love. That's uh, very typical of the Christian um, understanding and, and um, presentation of the gospel and how to live, how to live our faith, how to live in a manner becoming our calling. This is a, a love which is, you know, in, in Greek, the term is agape. Uh, it is not a feeling kind of love. It is a choosing love. I choose to love. I choose to love the, the unlovable. I choose to love as God loved. Remember yourself as being unlovable in God's sight. And that gives you a great idea of what, what that's like. God chose to love each of us when we were unlovable. And that's the love we're to, to show to one another. And this is how we draw near and hold fast. Now here's a key picture, um, or a key point of fellowship here. We know from Scripture that if we have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we have the Holy Spirit within us. See if we remember that. And here's another point to remember. Our fellow Christians who've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior have the Holy Spirit within them. Now, you know, we may not see that within each other. We may not even see that in ourselves. And that's because we still have our sin nature. We still have ourselves kind of blocking that image. But as we grow in faith, as we, as we see that hope becoming real, that ketchup coming out, right, we, we see the promises fulfilled. Christ is seen in us more easily as, as the attributes of God become more like our normal attributes. People will see Christ in us and we will see Christ in, 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 everyone, in one another. We have the Holy Spirit within us. And that is, so, that is the reason why it is so important we meet together. Because it's the Spirit. We're, we're helping each other to grow, to lessen ourselves, to, to, to show, to reveal the Spirit within us, as well as to help one another um, grow in Christ and to have that the Holy Spirit be seen by the world in them too. God has purpose for us individually and together as His body. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Now consider this. This is just one aspect of fellowship. Consider how we encourage each other about God's presence by praying together. Wonderful praying individually, but praying together. Um, it can be discouraging to have an unbelieving husband, unbelieving wife, wayward son, daughter, very discouraging to have an alcoholic father. It can be uh, discouraging in the workplace. That's where you'll, you'll come face to face with non-believers um, in the workplace. But when we pray together, we pray together on those situations, those discouraging situations we face. We're, we're encouraging one another. We should be doing this. We should be doing this more. You know, in China, 
had a wonderful missions trip in, in China. They read scripture. God says, do this. They do it. And they're seeing miracles happen. They're seeing, they're seeing communist members come to faith. They are seeing miracles and healing. Um, they are seeing the blind regain their sight. They're praying together. They, they're believing God on his word. This is his promise. This is his word around the world. We don't hear it that frequently. But in the Muslim world, there are, there are many who are coming to faith in Christ. Uh, their lives are on the line when they do that, but they're counting it. They're counting what Christ has done for them. They're accepting that, who he is. And they're looking at his promises, and they're encouraging each other. And prayer is a big thing. This is, this is an encouragement for us to stop and pray with each other, if there's a call for that, to pray together, to come together in community groups and pray, rather than just have a, a quick closing prayer, actually spend time praying, waiting in anticipation for God to work, for the answers to, to come. If we don't do that, we're not going to see the answers. We shouldn't expect the answers. We don't turn that bottle over we can't expect the ketchup to come out. We don't start praying. We can't expect to have answers to prayers. Right? Okay. Uh, when we pray together, we remind each other of God's presence with us because we come together in the name of Christ and that he cares for us in our concerns. We remind each other of our need for perseverance, that patient endurance like a farmer who plants his crop, right? First, there's the preparation of the land, but he doesn't expect a harvest on the first day or the second day. There's a requirement. He's required to cultivate, right? He plants, then he, he fertilizes, he waters, he has to weed. Right? And God gives the growth. Patient endurance there. With patient endurance, we will see God answering prayer. And that is the most encouraging thing we can, we can see together. God answering our prayers together. We do need help. And we do need to help each other to keep on keeping on there. All right, well, the theme of this, uh, this, this book and the theme of uh, the, the author of Hebrews comes out in the, these verses, and it is this. Just stay faithful to Christ every day. It takes diligence takes diligence, you know, getting into scripture, reading, it takes diligence to set aside time to pray. It takes diligence to meet with people in a community group every week. It does take diligence to come out, right? to see the purpose, to see God's presence. Right? Weeds grow by themselves, but good crops require cultiva cultivation. Right, we're going to close with uh, the story of Caleb in the Old Testament. Caleb. Caleb, the story of faithful endurance. Caleb trusted the faithfulness of God. Caleb and Joshua, if you remember, they were two of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the, the promised land. They were going to go in. 
check it out. Which way do we go in? What are the people like? What are the cities like? What is the land like? The 12 spies come back out, and they have, they have branches of fruit. They say, oh, it is a wonderful land, a land of milk and honey. Milk, land that's great for our, our livestock. Land of honey, a, a land of, that's great for crops, for agriculture. This is wonderful. But then 10 of the spies discouraged the entire nation of Israel not to go in. Oh, but they have a lot of people in there, and they are giants. We can't beat them. Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, let's go in. Well, this is, uh, this is where we pick up. They didn't go in the land. Caleb and Joshua were the only two men over the age of 20 at that point in time who ended up going into the land. All the rest perished in the wilderness, in the desert. This is where we pick up the story in, in Joshua chapter 14. They're now in, in the promised land. Forty years of wandering in that desert wilderness. And not only that, but then an extra five years for Caleb. Caleb obeyed. Moses said, you've got to fight with one another. You've got to help each of the families secure their land. Well, Caleb did that. Five years after entering the promised land, he upheld his part of the promise. All the other families were secure in their land. And then he comes to Joshua. Caleb, he was the... Uh, representative of the tribe of Judah, comes to Joshua and he says to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land and I brought him back a report according to my convictions for my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as, in, as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Caleb remained faithful for 40 years in the desert. Wasn't even his fault. 
stayed focused on the promises of God. Who is this God? What did he promise? And he served five more years helping other families get settled in the land. He recited God's promises 45 years later back to Joshua. Oh, Caleb remembered God, who he is, what he did. Caleb remembered God's promises to himself. Caleb remembered to encourage his fellow Israelites. He drew near in faith. Oh, yeah, he held unswervingly to his hope, hope that the promises will be fulfilled. Caleb loved his fellow Israelites, stayed obedient to the command. He helped them in their conquest of their part of the land. Oh, and certainly Caleb encouraged Joshua and Judah, the family, the tribe of Judah. You know, consider the promises, consider the blessing extended to Caleb. Judah, the tribe of King David. Judah, the tribe of our Lord Jesus, the heritage of, of Jesus. Judah, the tribe that conquered Jerusalem. Still today, the promises, the, the blessings through him. There was no sound of discouragement in Caleb's voice at age 85. What a wonderful name for a son, Caleb. May he be as faithful and strong in his faith as, as uh, his namesake in the Bible. And may we, like Caleb, through the desert, may we stay faithful to Christ every day. May we keep on keeping on. Let's pray. Lord God, you give us words of encouragement through the times when we're discouraged. Help us to be mindful that you are with us, you are in us. Help us to be mindful that Our strength comes from you, through your spirit, through our brothers and sisters. Help us to be mindful that with with your spirit, we can be bold in sharing our faith and not be discouraged, though we're rejected by the world. Help us with your presence and uh, to remember your promises. Encourage one another and uh, to lift high your name. To your glory, we pray. Amen.